0: It's time for another episode of the Franchise Business Radio Show. Broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel Studios in Atlanta. Sponsored by Franchise Intellect. Knowledge of the franchise community for franchise selection. More info at FranchiseIntellect.com. Also made possible in part by Franchise.City. A better way to buy a franchise. More info at Franchise.City. And Franserve, the world's largest franchise consulting and expansion organization. More info at Franserve.com. Now, here's your host, Certified Franchise Consultant, Pamela Curry.
1: Hello, this is Pamela Curry, franchise consultant for aspiring entrepreneurs looking to find a franchise that aligns for them, as well as the founder and host of the Franchise Business Radio Show. The Franchise Business Radio Show was founded to be a platform to bring business professionals together to connect, educate, and collaborate to serve the franchise community and those considering franchise ownership. Today, we have an emerging franchise brands that is disrupting a tried and true business model in the automotive industry. I would like to welcome our guest, Costa Ah, Kapitha- oh, Help me out there, Costa. How do I say your last name?
2: Capathanasas.
1: Thank you. And, and Costa is the CEO and president of Costa Oil, 10-Minute Oil Change. Very excited to have you on the show, Costa. Welcome.
2: Thanks for hap- having me. I'm very happy to be
1: on. Yeah, absolutely. And I also would like to welcome Michael Tilbrook, a development director at Brand Dev Company, or Brand Dev Co., I should say, who is working with Costa to grow the franchise system and brand. Welcome, Michael.
3: Yeah, thank you, Pamela. I'm, I'm excited to be with you today.
1: You know, guys, as a, as a franchise consultant, I, I frequently share with clients who are considering a franchise, that there are really two sides of the business equation to deeply understand and take into consideration. One side of the business equation is getting a full understanding of the actual business model, how it was founded, the industry, the financials, the day in the life as an operator, and the refinement of those proven methods of operation that a prospective franchisee is ultimately licensing the rights to. The other side of the business equation is understanding the franchise growth strategy. What are the plans to take the business model and the brand and grow it through a franchise strategy? Uh, Obviously, it's very important to get a good understanding of the franchisor's franchisee recruitment and growth plans. Uh, the franchisor's training and support to franchisees, the franchisor's leadership, uh, the philosophies, their culture. So there's a lot to learn about on both sides of this business equation when anyone is considering a franchise business model. Uh, what excites me about today's show is that we have both of you on the show as guests and you represent both sides of that business equation. Uh, I'd like to go ahead, uh, Costa, and get my, cam, uh, my listeners introduced to you. Um, you are the CEO and president of Costa Oil International Incorporated. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background.
2: So I, I grew up in Maine and I ended up in Maryland. I met my wife in college, and that's a typical way to find a new hometown is to make roots with a family. And so uh, I'm right outside of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Um, my educational background is in finance, and that's actually kind of the genesis of how we got to where we are is, um, I had moved through some of the larger asset management firms, and I always had an entrepreneurial side to me from the time I was little till the time I started this business. And, um, you know, as I went through these different brands, you know, TD Ameritrade, Merrill Lynch, uh, and most recently, seven years ago, T. Rowe Price, when I made the jump into entrepreneurship full time, um, I was really looking to get into a business that was, uh, manager facing. Cause I, like a lot of people who look into franchising, wasn't looking to leave my, my full-time job. I had a very steady, very mm-hmm. well-paying job in a, in an industry that's typically pretty safe. And, um, you know, I have a master's of science and finance and I have an MBA. So from an educational investment standpoint, I was pretty, uh, I was pretty ingrained in my career in finance. But um, when, I, when I opened up the first location and I saw kind of what, we were, what was ahead of me and what we could do with this industry, um, I jumped in head first. And uh, it's interesting because it, it really actually bodes well for franchising the way that I got into it in the first place.
1: Absolutely. So explain the cost of business model, a uh, 10-minute oil change. What, what's the history behind it?
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, I was looking at manager-centric brands, right? So like I said, I, I wasn't looking to leave my job at zero price. I had uh an established job. I dealt with a lot of entrepreneurs, but it always I always had that entrepreneurial scratch that I needed to itch. And so I looked at different models where if I had a strong manager, I didn't have to be there on a day-to-day basis. And so Um, Mm -hmm. the quick, the quick lube industry to me was a quasi utility, uh, in the sense that every single car that's out on the road, um, that's driving by you on a daily basis with the exception of Tesla's, uh, need an oil change. And so much like you pay your phone bill, much like you pay your internet bill, um, you know, you have to get oil changes or else your car is not going to work. And so, um, that industry stood out to me. I found a, uh, a couple in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania that, was looking to get out because they wanted to retire. Um, and then as I dove deeper into the industry, I just saw a void in the industry from the service side, from the operator side. And we really yeah. honed in on what I thought was a a, a, a void in the space that could be filled. And I think that's how most great businesses are built is uh, finding a void in, in an industry and, and figure out a way to, to fill it.
1: Uh, well, you bring up a really good point there. Uh, finding that void. What, what, have you identified to be the key differentiators, the void that is different from other oil change brands? Because, as I mentioned, it's a tried and true business model, but you're disrupting it.
2: Yeah, so you know, I kind of reverse engineered it from my desk at Tiro Price by just going through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reviews on Google and Yelp of some of the the more established brands that seem to be disconnected from their consumer because. There were, I mean, there are established brands in this space that kind of, uh, I don't want to use the term monopolized, but like when we think of the fast loop space, there's only a couple of names that come to mind. And so, um, you know, I sat there and looked at the things that I thought were uh, the consumer was missing out on. And so Mm -hmm. um, ironically enough, a lot of the things that people are complaining about our industry Are the things that created the industry in the first place. So going back to putting an emphasis on throughput, you know, one of our main KPIs is uh, bay time. So um, we want our cars to be in and out in a certain amount of time. You know, a lot of the brands back when this industry first were established used the moniker ten minute oil change, whether it was Valvoline ten minute oil change, Pennzoil ten minute oil change, Mm -hmm. Minute Lube ten minute oil change, and and a lot of the brands got away from that. Um, because they started getting into services that were outside of their core business. And so I felt as though the thing that the consumer wanted was the no frills oil change, get in, get out and be a part, you know, go about the rest of your day without it being a huge uh, impact on your schedule. And so that if that was our core philosophy, then it presents other problems um, that needed to be fixed. And so we set about to try to fix those other problems, and as we grew the business and kind of validated the the model, and got to a certain point, I said, "Okay, how do we take this larger?" And then that's when franchising became the uh, the more obvious answer for us. That
1: makes sense. So a common phrase we hear um, in any business is uh, location, location, location. <laughs> Uh, talk to us about that how do you determine the right location what does that look like?
2: yeah so f- for us in the model that we're franchising you know we're we're taking a new approach to this now at the end of the day we're largely a destination business most people wake up and they know that an oil change is an errand that they have to do so um, now mm-hmm. location is important for creating that top of mind brand awareness We are a geographically restricted business it's not like You know, someone that sells soap online, they can sell it to someone in Hawaii, Oklahoma, Maine. Um, Mm -hmm. We, you know, 85% of our customer base is from within a two to three mile radius. So, um, you know, the location, in my opinion, doesn't become the end all be all, especially with some of the channels that we're able to advertise on, such as Facebook and Instagram. We can have a mobile billboard anywhere and create that brand awareness, and so, uh, but that being said, it never hurts to have a plus real estate. It's just, there's not more a plus real estate being made. There's only so much land. So, um, with our, with the model that we're franchising, which is the prefabricated single bay quick loops, which is something that's never been done before in our space. We're largely approaching strip malls and, uh, walk-in malls that are most likely going to be converted to strip malls. And, uh, you know, we're talking to them about okay. You have all this unused parking space because strip malls and and uh, mm-hmm. and malls have kind of taken a hit over the years due to the move to e-commerce. Why don't we turn some of those parking spaces into revenue-generating space for you? And uh, we've mm-hmm. had a lot of success with those conversations. And our flagship store in Mentor on the Lake, Ohio, is kind of the uh, the ideal. Uh, we have some really nice drone shots of it that have the. Uh, the tri- the grocery store in the backdrop and the strip mall in the backdrop that has all the d- other tenants. And it just shows, you know, the cars that are going by on a daily basis doing their their errands, uh, you know, we have that visual uh, ability to be seen on a daily basis. And then when it comes time to be the oil change, to get the oil change, we're top of mind brand awareness. Oh, I love
1: that. Very, I mean, I, and to your point, there's a lot of unused parking spaces. And sometimes uh, it can be challenging to find that site location for any bricks and mortar business model. So that really opens up the landscape uh, when you're approaching it that way. It makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, you also brought up something else that kind of caught my attention. And, and like you said, you're not selling a product, right? You're not selling soap online. <laughs> uh, a frequent question that I also get is, is you know, what business model is out there that's Amazon proof uh, that is... Recession resistant, um, also since COVID, essential. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Um, how have you been doing in these environments that we're currently in, and any impacts there?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's nothing that is Amazon proof, they have shown they're willing to get into any space, no matter how niche it is. So, really, the differentiator becomes brand. And so, if you have the ability to do storytelling and brand building. You know, you don't want to get into the race. You don't want to get into a race to the bottom on pricing with Amazon because you're not going to win that fight. So the only other thing you can do is create a brand that resonates with the consumer. And so if you create a brand that uh, starts moving away from what the consumer wants, either because you're so established that you feel as though you're above needing to, uh, to, to cater to your consumer's need or for whatever the reason is, um you're going to eventually have trouble but if you can create a brand that resonates with the consumer they'll pay a premium especially in a in a time where a lot of startups whether it's tech startups or product startups revolve around selling people their time back which is largely what we do we sell people their time back um, you know mm. all the startups that have become really good companies in the past 5 10 years whether it's Airbnb or Uber or, uh, smart fridges that are ordering your six pack of beer because it knows your consumer habits at this point. And when you reach for that second okay. to last one, you know, there's going to be a six pack on your door the following day, you know, everything is about mm-hmm. reducing that friction. You know, the pandemic really, uh, amplified that through services like Uber Eats and DoorDash where, you know, it mobile ordering fast food, so even if you do go to the store now you you've already had your order placed. so um, mm-hmm. we feel as though if we can put an emphasis on selling people their time back, that people will pay a premium for that service because we're not trying to be a huge impact on their day.
1: Mm-hmm. so two part question for you it, it's how how long well first how long have you been in business for? when did you originally found Costa oil?
2: So the the first location (laughs) opened in April of 2014. Um, 2014. We didn't do the second location until 2016 because I really wanted to validate the model before moving to the second store. Mm -hmm. Uh, But from there, the third location was in Chicago. And that actually was the true test because I live 800 miles away from Chicago. So the ability to run that third store mm-hmm. without being there on a daily or even monthly basis really kind of proved that this particular model was semi and almost completely absentee. And so from there, it moved pretty quickly. Um, and then during the pandemic, I opened five stores within a three month period. Um, yeah. commercial, commercial landlords were really skittish. Uh, Something I talked about a little bit in one of my earlier answers was about figuring out those pain points uh, for the business. And, you know, to be oil change only, one of the reasons some of our competitors started doing other services that might be higher ticket, lower margin items was to get Mm -hmm. that top line revenue to a point where they can pay for these expensive facilities. So for me, low leases were important and now we're building buildings. So having an inexpensive building is important. Um, That's a Mm -hmm. core tenant of what we're trying to do because uh, I had always been told by industry insiders, like to build a quick lube is gonna be a million dollars. It's gonna be 1.2 million dollars. You know, any of your listeners Mm -hmm. can go on to any of the commercial real estate websites, type in oil change and see what these facilities are selling for. Two, three million dollars. So, um, you know, it took me a while to basically ask why. And then I found out for myself that there's not a real good answer for it. And we've been able to create a facility that is a fraction of that cost, which then allows us to focus on the oil change only model, which is at the end of the day, our thesis for what the consumer wants. And it also alleviates the pressure of the operator, um, and so low leases and low rent payments are a uh, cornerstone of this of this whole project.
1: So why? I mean, I guess this is a two part question. Uh, why did you decide to franchise and why now?
2: So I felt as though there was a gap in our space on the operator side. So it wasn't always, we've always been a consumer facing business. I've always put the consumer first, but when I got to the point where we had a repeatable model that I thought could be rubber stamped, and we had all the processes and third-party services that allowed me to run business from 400, 500 miles away, you know, we have a large footprint in Pittsburgh, which is three hours away. We have a large footprint in Eastern Ohio, which is, you know, four hours away. I felt mm-hmm. as though we got to the point where um, I-, I could continue to open corporate stores at a at a pace of a few stores here and there and maybe 10 years from now have a really nice private business that is regional. Um, or I could try to tackle what I think is an industry-wide problem, which is private equity injecting itself into the Quick Loop space and then not caring about the consumer. And so I thought franchising. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody knows franchises are only as good as their operator and the system's in place. And so this was a way to create a national brand that puts the power back into smaller operators, not necessarily private equity, um, who are going to actually be good stewards of the brand and the processes, which at the end of the day is a better service for the consumer.
1: Um, any particular reason why you chose it now? I mean, why now? I mean, that people would probably stall. Uh, just due to the current environment we're in and it didn't slow you down.
2: There's there's a couple of reasons for it. One that I can get into at another time, but uh, okay. the the most obvious one to me was we finally got the processes. What I thought was I felt comfortable handing this off to someone else. Um, and it's very interesting because I've had conversations with franchisees that uh, it, it's interesting the, the way that people view business and some franchisees feel as though the franchise stores are always run better than the corporate and then some view it the complete opposite way. And so I, for a very long time, I never thought like anyone was going to care as much as I do. No one's going to run the business as well as I do. Mm-hmm. And it really took, you know, doing my due diligence and talking to some of these people, you know, some of these franchisees will care about the brand just as much as I do. Um, and mm-hmm. that it was really one thing that triggered me to to go forward with it was knowing that I could put together a team of people that are going to care about the end uh, consumer as much as I do. Because that was the big worry for me is like, are we going to open up a bunch of locations and then my name is on the building and all of a sudden <laughs> the brand standards are not going to be held. And then ultimately that's up to us. Ultimately we have control over portions of that. And so, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just through having conversations with people and then, you know, talking to people like Michael Tilbrook, who um, you're going to speak to in a second and meeting with the different, uh, franchise development houses, um, they, that gave me confidence in the process as well, because they Mm -hmm. have been a part of scaling emerging brands and a part of national brands. And so, um, I, I knew that I was in good hands when it came to the the development side, which was important as well. So I'm not in it alone.
1: Absolutely. What, I, what is, what are you looking for in a prospective franchisee? Uh, you, you already brought up, you know, caring about the end con- customer, the end customer is obviously very important to you. Uh, what else?
2: So we, uh, in our discovery days, we refer to it as the shopping cart test. We look for people who put their shopping mm-hmm. cart away when no one else is looking in the parking lot. <laughs> and, the, uh, and so, um, you know, integrity is defined as doing the right thing when no one's looking. And so that's an important mm-hmm. part for us. Uh, our core values, we feel as though are more than just a poster on the wall. We call our core values our quick values. Um, and we want people who are going to view our core values as a guiding principle for how to run the business. And so um, Mm -hmm. Fran Devco has done a fantastic job of putting the infrastructure together to to make sure that we vet our franchisees because we're vetting them just as much as they're vetting us. And I'm very proud to say as an emerging brand, we don't award every single person who comes through the doors like a lot of emerging brands might do. They get excited to sell some units and might just put anyone in the system we have said no mm-hmm. to, quite, to quite a few people who we just felt weren't going to be a right fit for us. And so yeah. um, that's something that uh, I'm pretty proud of as an emerging franchise.
1: And I, I, I do want to talk uh, to Michael here in a minute about Brand DevCo and in the development of your brand. Uh, out of curiosity, in your opinion, you know, what do you think a franchisor can do to put their franchisees in the strongest position for success.
2: I'm a, I'm a big believer in SOP standard, o- standard operating procedures and checklists. Um, you know, for me, I view franchising a lot like paint by numbers. If you're going to have <laughs> good processes uh, we believe as though we believe that if our people follow What we've done and have replicated time and time again in the corporate stores, if you do step one, step two, step three, and follow these things, you will have success. And then the other Mm -hmm. part of franchising that is going to be good for myself is the diversity of ideas and the diversity of opinions. And we have a pretty diverse group of franchisees already Mm. and, and they're Mm going to be a, they're going to be a laboratory of innovation for us. And we're going to listen to Mm. ways to make things better for everybody. Um, you know, my favorite franchising story is the Munchkins at Dunkin' Donuts. There was a, there was a couple that owned a Dunkin' Donuts and they were cutting out the middle and they were just throwing it away. And the wife said, why don't we just sell these as Munchkins? And that now it's one of the most popular products Dunkin' Donuts offers.
1: Absolutely. I love that story, too. Uh, um, before we jump over to Michael, anything else you would like to share about the Costa model?
2: No, uh, nothing in particular. Um, you know, FranDevco, if anyone does decide to get more information, Fran Defco does such a good job of relaying our story. Everyone seems to have a quick lube story. And one of the things that made Michael really have the ability to tell our story well was right before mm-hmm. we brought him on board as the head of franchising, he had an incident with one of the competitors. And so when we explained what we were trying to do, it was like, yeah, that makes so much sense. And so he's been a great, uh, he's been a great brand ambassador for us.
1: Ah, uh, Well, that's a compliment to you, Michael, and in a, in a great segue. Uh, so uh, let's go ahead and, and share with our listeners a little bit about your background. Michael Tilbrook, Uh, you started out your career in business ownership after leaving a leadership position in a large durable goods manufacturing business. Uh, Your first business endeavor was in the indoor trampoline business in 2010, with the goal to franchise the concept. And you were introduced to franchising through a business ownership workshop in Los Angeles. Uh, This workshop, of course, made you realize the power of growing a business model through franchising. And then you took on a position as a franchise consultant in Los Angeles and worked with numerous franchise brands and ultimately moved into franchise development. Um, matter of fact, you were very instrumental in uh, developing an emerging healthy food concept, which is now a well-known national brand, Vitality Bowls Superfood Cafe. Uh, I I know that you also shared a personal goal with to be closer to family. Uh, and you now reside in Reno, right? Reno, Nevada, uh, with your wife and two boys. And it's my understanding that you love to take advantage of the easy access to local hiking trails, Lake Tahoe, and have passion for skiing and mountain biking, uh, not to mention being an avid fan of jazz, which, uh, has grown through your son. That sounds like a wonderful lifestyle. Well, I think we have you on mute. No, I'm sorry. I'm going to go ahead. If you have us on mute or there you go, you are with us.
3: Yeah, Pamela, That's thank like you very much. <laughs> thank
1: you
0: very
3: much. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, you know what? Uh, obviously, Costa was alluding to Brand DevCo, and um, I think it's important for our listeners, if you wouldn't mind uh, sharing who is Brand DevCo and I know you are a development director there, but what services does Grand DevCo provide?
3: So we're a franchise development company, and we have a scope where we can provide business owners that are entertaining franchising uh, a sort of a, a, a full house of products. We have the ability to help them get their franchise development agreement. Started and completed. Uh, we also can provide some advice on their operating manuals and also help them, based on what we've learned from other franchisors, marketing materials, and then also how to grow the ba- the brand um, to the place where they wanted to go. Um, we have yeah. two division. Yeah, we have two divisions. We have one out of uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and then the other one is in Seattle, uh, Washington. Mm.
1: Okay, And I'm just, I'm curious, so why partnering with Costco? Why has this been a good fit for a brand Dev Co?
3: Well, this word comes up time and time again. I think we're almost all sick of it, COVID. If you look <laughs> at this particular brand, uh, they were open apart from two weeks through the entire period of COVID, uh, deemed mm-hmm. an essential service. And Pam, I think from your experience in your consulting, I think you probably had many, uh, clients, candidates that were looking to get out of corporate America that uh, were trying to get into business ownership. But so many businesses, small businesses had to shut down, you know, either through mm-hmm. government agencies or just the fact that it was unsafe. And so when we uh, were approached by Costa, not only was it an essential business, but there were so many other factors that we look for in other businesses that were very attractive to us. I think first and foremost is, Costa talked about integrity. I use the word character, is what we found with uh, Costa is, he w- is was very particular about doing this and making sure that the franchisees would be successful. And even today, he and I, Talk about that. And his first and foremost goal is to make sure that his franchisees are doing well. And it's not so, it's not about the money. Um, we, we also like the fact that he had a long history of success. He started the business in 2014. He has 15 mm-hmm. locations, none of them have closed. I think he really took advantage of the COVID period, was very smart, and signed a number of leases. I think he added five or six locations. Which was just tremendous. The other thing is, uh, we look for in a brand is does it have a sustainable position? And mm-hmm. how do we find that out? Well, you know, we got into the market and we actually talked with some of his staff members. Uh, we, we were extremely excited to hear that Costa was making a huge difference in autolube. They weren't feeling the stress that apparently they do in other brands because those other brands are wanting them to push the ticket price as high as they can. And so Mm -hmm. they come off aggressively with clients in trying to sell them things that they don't need. An example could be a radiator flush or a serpentine belt, etc. And I think Mm -hmm. uh, Coaster's model is very transparent. Uh, He even has managers that have the skills to approach clients that are sort of a little standoffish because of past experiences. An example could be a lady driving into the kiosk. And I know one particular manager, if uh, he sees they're really standoffish, he'll say to them, uh, you know, are you here for the Tupperware party? And so <laughs> that disarms them. So I think he's paid very careful attention to uh, holding on to customers. It's a very sticky uh-huh. program. We also did other research. We looked at reviews online. Uh, Coaster's reviews are by far the highest in the United States, albeit that he's in four states right now on the East Coast. Um, they are far higher than anyone else's. We looked at what other reviews were for other brands, and we felt that mm-hmm. Coaster was providing those services. There's also an interesting article uh, that Dun & Bradstreet did on AutoLoop And that also strengthens the position of his model. So those were some of the things that I think were endemic to Coaster, the brand itself, but also some of the things that we look for in other brands that we developed. I I would say one last thing is, and Pam, you probably get this a lot is there are many individuals that are looking to try and diversify assets. Many of them are still working. They have full-time jobs and for them to get into a business is very difficult if they want to transition into it. The other thing that was very attractive to us was that we had a model that we could provide consultants and candidates that truly is semi-absentee. You can operate a kiosk with two technicians and Costa, I laugh at this because uh, I see him on his phone. Sometimes he is really invested in a lot of technology and he manages fifteen locations. I mean, literally from his cell phone. Mm. Mm-hmm. So those were all attractive things, you know. And as we go out into the there market to market the brand, uh, those are very attractive uh, things for us uh, for for clients.
1: Yeah, I can. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The operator model and the ability to be semi absentee and create a transition strategy for yourself. Uh, if you're looking to diversify, I, uh, yeah, that's checking a lot of boxes, no doubt about it. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about the recruitment of franchisees. Uh, that's a primary role that you're playing. Uh, you know, what is the plan there?
3: Well, we've we've moved along quite far so far. We have what we call the organic side of the business, where Costa. Markets and advertisers on his website. We have a franchise page with some basic uh, questions on there. And uh, mm-hmm. from there, with what we call the organic clients that come in or candidates, we then sure. uh, have an initial discussion with them. And then we have a questionnaire, confid- a confidential questionnaire that we send out to them. You know, we don't always get those back, but the ones that we get back, mm-hmm. that's sort of the first sign that someone's serious. And interested of course we look at this candidate skill set in terms of what their past history is uh what type Mm -hmm. of work they've done and then also what's very important of course is the financial aspect you know can they provide enough cash so they're not too stressed out to make sure that they can open the business and then still have some working capital to drive the business uh to grow um a, you know, a big area for us, of course, is working with uh, consultants like yourself. Mm-hmm. That's a little easier for us because you do a lot of the hard upfront work in terms of qualifying the candidates. And so when we get a referral from a consultant, uh, a lot of that work has already been done. Um, in mm-hmm. terms of the consultant groups, there are, you know, eight or nine large groups, uh, many others that are smaller. Mm-hmm. In the United States, we've not signed up to work with every single one. We have some experience in terms of the types of brands that we have, where they may fit in best with a consultant organization. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, with the consultant groups, of course, we've got to have a large back office that can support all of the functions that we need to within those groups to make sure that all of the information is updated. Uh, for you so that you can give your clients an accurate picture of how the business is growing, the concept is growing, and then also all of the other data points that you need uh, to be accurate so that you can uh, refer them into the right concept.
1: Absolutely. business matchmaker. <laughs> right. Uh you know, there are there are quite a few. I know Fran Devco, you know, does focus on you know helping the development of, of different brands. And we're talking about COSTI here. But any tips that you would like to provide uh, to business founders who are considering taking their concept and franchising it?
3: Certainly. I, I think from my experience, what I've seen with emerging brands is If you want to take it into the franchising arena, make sure that you understand that it is nonstop. There is so much Mm -hmm. that is required of you and having resources and being able to afford resources uh, to drive the growth for at least the first year, if it's a bricks and mortar concept. No. So that uh, you you have enough uh, cash as well um, to help you through that period. Because as you probably mm-hmm. know, Pam, with, with bricks and mortar from a time that a client signs an agreement to when they get their location open mm-hmm. uh, could be nine months to a year to even I had a situation in Seattle with a food company where this poor couple had to wait two years to get a property, and the the one of the spouses had left her uh, her employment. So, and then I think the the other thing is any partners that you have, and this is setting up any partnership. Make sure that you have goals and values that are similar, because I think you know there is a a term we coined for partnerships. It's the one ship that never really leaves the dock. Right. And most partnerships can turn into be frustrating avenues for individuals uh, running a business. So I think have an iron uh, tight clad uh, partnership agreement and then make sure that you're on the same page in terms of what functions uh, each partner is going to be responsible for. Mm -hmm. But I I think the other thing I would say to owners is it can be a lot of fun. You're, it's going to stretch you. It's going to make you grow. And boy, like we are seeing at Costa, we're meeting some fantastic people. I mean, some of the right. franchisees that have come on board are just incredible individuals with some incredible uh, experience.
1: Mm, yeah, that's great. And uh, yeah, I really like how Costa mentioned that one of the values behind a franchise system is the diversity. And uh, really, it, it becomes a laboratory of of ideas, and uh, there's huge value in being part of a system and having that pure exchange. and um, It it really is. You polish each other, I think, as a franchisor and with having diversified franchisees in place that are willing to follow the system but also be contributors, Uh, so all very important. I guess I, I just want to say I we're kind of coming upon the hour here, so I just want to say thank you very much, Michael, for all your great insight. Costa, thank you very much for all your wonderful insight. Very excited for you. It's, it's very obvious that you are you're laying the proper groundwork uh, to really take this brand to the next level. Uh, very excited to be able to represent you. Uh, With that being said, uh, we're gonna go ahead and sign off here. Uh, This is Pamela Curry, host of the Franchise Business Radio Show, as well as a certified franchise consultant. Again, listeners, please remember that if you or someone you know is considering franchise ownership, then don't feel like you have to navigate those waters all by yourself. There is a lot to learn. Uh, And as you know, I put together this Franchise Business Radio Show to have a platform to help educate. Uh, but I do specialize in helping individuals on selecting a franchise, helping them be effective and doing their due diligence um, to make sure that you're making an educated and informed decision. So if franchise ownership is something you would like to seriously pursue, uh, possibly Costa is a good fit for you, uh, then contact me. Contact me for a complimentary franchise consultation. I would welcome being a resource to you. Uh, simply just email me at pam at franchiseintellect.com, or you can simply call, text me, 847-970-8765. Uh, as always, thank you to our guests. Thank you, Michael and Costa. Uh, Thank you to our listeners and uh, thank you to our sponsors. Uh, Have a wonderful day and week to those who are listening. Take care.
0: Thank you again for joining Pamela Curry and her guests for the Franchise Business Radio show, sponsored by Franchise Intellect, knowledge of the franchise community for franchise selection. More info at FranchiseIntellect.com. Also made possible in part by Franchise.City, a better way to buy a franchise. More info at Franchise.City. And Franserve, the world's largest franchise consulting and expansion organization. More info at Franserve.com. Use the social media links here to share today's show and check out more episodes at Franchise Business Radio dot com